Welcome to the Clinical Pharmacist podcast, where we discuss interesting topics related to clinical pharmacists in general practice. My name is Runa. I'm your host. Uh, I'm the clinical lead of CPS and the training and development manager of Clinical Pharmacist Academy. Uh, we also have Mahmoud, our co-host. My name is Mahmoud Yusupov. I'm also a clinical pharmacist independent prescriber. I'm the founder of Clinical Pharmacist Solutions, recruitment, training and healthcare services provider that specializes in clinical pharmacists in GP surgeries. We're delighted to be joined today by senior clinical pharmacist at Clinical Pharmacist Solutions, Adrian Murphy, who started his journey in this role around 18 months ago. Um, Adrian, welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Uh, delighted to have you here with us today. So please start by introducing yourself to our audience. Sure. Uh, obviously, yeah, my name is Adrian Murphy. I'm a senior clinical pharmacist here at CPS. I'm also involved um, in the training development team in the Clinical Pharmacist Academy. At the moment, I'm currently involved with running COVID vaccines. So obviously, as well as vaccinating or making up the Pfizer vaccines, what have you, I'm also um, helping clinical to actually manage it, anything from organising the volunteers who run it, making sure we have enough vaccinators, enough admin staff, maybe looking at the actual supply of the vaccine. So yeah, kind of really involved in the nitty gritty of the management as well as purely vaccinating people as well. So yes, yeah, really different from anything I've done up to now. So it's really exciting, really rewarding, and obviously quite tiring as well. <laughs> I see. Yes, I can imagine. So uh, let's take a step back for a moment. And if you can tell us um, how you got into pharmacy, and then and, you know, how you got into the clinical pharmacist role as well. So just back, tell us what your journey looked like when you started. Yeah. I was, I've always been interested in science, so I'm kind of like a scientist at heart. So I was really into biology and chemistry at school. But I think I was always kind of destined to go down some kind of healthcare route. And then it was just a case of deciding on which one. It was between physiotherapy or pharmacy. And then in the end, I decided from everything, I kind of spoke to pharmacists, physios, and I decided that kind of pharmacy sounded like it would be good for me. So then I went to, travelled all the way to Scotland, and I really enjoyed my four years at the Robert Gordon University. Kind of learned, like, you know, met lots of really good friends, you know, learned loads. Then, then obviously it was a case of what did I want to do? So I kind of, at the time, I think the obvious choice was kind of community. Um, so that I kind of then went all the way to Essex, did my pre-reg, and then from there spent eight years with Boots uh, kind of in, in the community side. During that time, I kind of realized I really liked the clinical side more so than management. So the management you know, in general didn't kind of excite me as much as kind of just getting into the nitty gritty of speaking to people about their medicines, how they're getting on with their kind of hypertension, what have you. So once I saw that there was a really good opportunity to kind of come into an GPs it was certainly in, in the back of my mind anyway without maybe me taking any action so um, yes kind of main origin yes okay so um clinical pharmacy solutions is based in X and and that's how we met you and you joined our team you so can we talk specifically more about how you got into the clinical pharmacist role um how you transitioned and, and what allowed you to do that yeah of course i mean if i kind of quickly before we get off in a tangent for years kind of interested in you know being stable financially i've got myself you know you know, not, not like like rich or anything, but I can at least just try and be just have like a bit of stability. So I've kind of made sure I've got myself in a position where I can just survive for whatever amount of years.
years without, if worse came to worse, I couldn't work. So I had that kind of built up before I even decided to go into GP practice. So once that opportunity, once I was given that opportunity to join, at the time I was like, Joe, still a bit unsure, kind of Joe, worried as you would naturally be, oh, will this be for me? So I didn't want to suddenly just dive in. So I just said, all right, I'll start with one day a week here. So I started to drop days of boots, take like a day or two in GP practice. And then I think after a couple of months, I realized that if I really wanted to really kind of progress as a clinical pharmacist in a GP surgery, I would have to really give myself that time for experience and have days to study kind of because I realized that I lost some of my clinical knowledge that I just hadn't used in community. So mm. I kind of made kind of like a big decision for me at the time to leave Boots permanently and then pursue the pharmacy IP course, what have you. And obviously I had that kind of, even though obviously it's, it was a scary th- thing to do, also I did have that kind of backup knowing that like worse comes to worse, I had that financial security to pursue it without getting distracted by any financial worries. Yes. So I think what you're saying is, Adrian, before you were able to get started in this new role, it required you to cut down on you know some days in your employed role as a community pharmacist for self-study work experience um, in general practice I guess there's an element of sacrifice involved in terms of the time that you need to put into pursuing this new role days of course yes uh, it was reduced my income initially but I, for me I felt it was worth totally worth it obviously financial security can mean a lot of things it's kind of broad term can you tell us more specifics in terms of how you achieved that yeah um, I think it's partly kind of improving your knowledge base so like not at the same time I wouldn't expect everyone to maybe delve into it as much as I did but once I kind of got interested in the topic I read like blog, various blogs listened to podcasts read books I have a I have a bookshelf I think and I realized I've got when I counted yesterday I've got like 19 20 different books on the topic so maybe obviously I've got, are, you, are you talking about stocks and, and yeah stocks yeah so yeah so stocks and kind of everything from kind of like all the so from personal finance so that would be just maybe your income and expenditure to more advanced topics like actually investing your money in in stocks property various things like that yeah so I, I think it, it started maybe just as an interest in oh yeah I mean you can make some money in, in stocks and then I went on to if you understand maybe what your expenses are for one that's powerful so you kind of know what you need on a month-to-month basis and as well you can break that down into maybe essential expenses obviously mortgage food a little bit of entertainment shelter then kind of go to your maybe slightly more lavish budget of like putting in holidays other things like that so if you know where you stand and then you can start to and then you what your what your savings are you can kind of say all right so with this amount of savings i could last x amount of months x amount of years what have you kind of on that and then obviously then you learn to say all right now let me grow that amount that i have my um whatever your investment pile is you know how people don't really like to save because then they have to live kind of more frugal life (laughs) yeah yeah does that mean you you kind of started slowly and then you realized that the benefits of having that security and that gave you encouragement to do then save more and continue investing and yeah exactly exactly i mean yeah i think just yeah you kind of everyone has their own journey this environment for me yeah i think it started out first as a little bit of being interested in investing then i got into the whole there's this movement called the fire movement where the idea is you kind of go a bit mad maybe save loads and then invest and then you can have the option to retire or maybe just be financially independent do what you want yeah for me personally it was a case of like i mean i, I definitely i kind of look after what i spend my money on but i certainly 
necessarily don't feel deprived of anything. If I want something, I'll get it. But then at the same time, I think it's more not so much depriving yourself as much as just actually saying what gives you joy in life, spend money on that, and then just make sure you're not spending money on things that you're not using that doesn't, if you're going to spend money on loads of clothes and you don't wear them, you're just, oh, that's not good. But if there's something you enjoy, mm. so if you enjoy something, yeah, by all means, spend on it. I think it's more about just finding out what makes you know, things that make you happy. For me, it's like spending money on food and holidays, not a big clothes person or, you know, I don't have other lavish expenses. I know now what kind of makes me happy, but I'm happy to spend a bit more money on. But then so I, I feel deprived, but I'm still able to save. So you've read 19 books yeah. and you got to a stage where you feel comfortable. Yeah. Do you think the pharmacists who are listening to this podcast, can they get in touch with you and get some a bit more insight and maybe personal your opinion or advice on on how they can you know plan their the journey if they want to, if they're interested to find out more? Yeah, happy to kind of see if there's anything I can suggest. Adrian, what was it like when you first started in terms of how you approach the work considering your clinical knowledge base at the time for the first few months what, what, like what we did agreement where um obviously i would get paid because what i was doing was kind of processing letters doing prescription tasks and things so maybe rather than getting paid per hour the agreement would have been like yeah so x number of tasks an hour's work x number of letters processed equals an hour's work so i think it took me a few months then to get up to then all right now i'm doing more than that so now i get paid per hour the joe may some people could very well be quicker that first few months obviously I, I was still doing quite a lot of work in community as well so um but yeah no certainly i think it is it makes sense to to reduce yeah to kind of not to worry too much about income if that's um if you are lucky enough to be in that position to then really upskill yourself um in terms of type of work you could do and mm-hmm. also then then having that space to look up things because like every day you're coming across so many different things that you like you may have not seen so yeah i think it's uh, you really do need that time and space to um to really grow as a clinical pharmacist i see yes and just to give our audience um, an idea in terms of the number of tasks completed um, i think most pharmacists starting out because it's such it's a completely different ball game isn't it the language is so different um starting out i think when a pharmacist first starts they probably i don't know might only complete three or four tasks in an hour if that oh, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah i think i was lucky i think i remember originally we said something like normal pharmacists and even this is probably slow anyway now but like 12 tasks an hour and I think mm. that first day I, I was there for like 11 or like maybe nine hours and I think I just about did 12 <laughs> so. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you're probably you could probably do easily 100 tasks a day now i imagine easily yeah oh yeah yeah i know i've done like 150 in right. a day so oh yeah like once you again like you, you will eventually start to see things that are similar and have that that natural protocol in place but you like uh, you're always seeing a few new things but at the same time once you do get used to certainly there will be certain similarities and you'll get then you'll get obviously more confident just even just navigating the systems mm. and recognizing what's a normal blood test and having to look up as much each time so it, it, it does all come together so i guess it, yes. it becomes eventually it becomes repetitive right yeah um, yeah, yeah. It, would you say six to twelve months and then you kind of want to the next level and do something absolutely. else absolutely so yeah again obviously it will depend on like maybe how much hours you're doing of of the tasks as well but yeah certainly 12 months max so yeah even six months if you're doing a full you're almost full time and again and obviously it will come down to your, your own personality me like for me i'm probably someone who 
wants to know everything almost before you start, which is probably not always feasible. But um, so I, I'm certainly the, definitely the cautious one. So yes. I, 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 I like to know, I, I like to deep dive into each topic before I ever really <laughs> see a patient. But yeah, again, maybe someone else may be a bit quicker. So I'm, I'm probably in, in the slower group anyway, in terms of uh, taking with, with my cautious nature. I was going to say that's something that Mahmoud and I noticed about you. That from our point of view, I think that's really good because you're really cautious. And because sometimes you do get the overconfident pharmacists who they think they know a subject, but actually they may not know it as well as they need to. And that's certainly one thing that we found with you is that you really like to read into the subject quite at a deep level, make sure you understand it. And then by the end of it, you you really do know what you're doing. So, you know, and I commend you for that. And I think that's fantastic. And that's one of the other reasons why you are also the author of one of the training programs and clinical medication reviews in general practice. And can you just tell us a little bit about that, please, as well? Yeah, so I think the was the origin of this uh, medication reviews, the clinical ones, is true. Yeah, I think it's true experience. Obviously, I've had the fortune of working with you guys and kind of Joe. You know, anytime I had any you know, concerns, you'd kind of give me guidance of like, oh, this is what you should do for hypertension, for example, or this is what you should do for diabetes. And then I thought, see, there's a lot of pharmacists who may not be in that position. And I was thinking, like, like if it was me personally, what information would I like to know from my community pharmacy days obviously we have the medication use reviews and obviously there was a, a certain amount of information you might use there and I realized that obviously it was totally different once I went to um, general practice there was a lot more in-depth knowledge you needed things you needed to go into more for each disease so for example I, I like to use is if you're doing a clinical medication review for gout so I think most people if they're in the position of kind of reviewing a patient for gout they will say yeah all right how are you getting on with your gout? Have you had any attacks of gout? And they may know as well, all right, I'll look at the medication. Are you on allopurinol? All right, maybe I'll do the, the monitoring, the normal monitoring for allopurinol. So fair enough. And then they'll probably say, yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy with that. So, and then obviously that's probably what I would have thought before I, but obviously, obviously knowing me, I wanted to really get into the into the nitty gritty. So I kind of Joe, went, delved into the clinical knowledge summary for gout. And, that, and when I realized that kind of on top of monitoring the, maybe the symptoms of an acute attack of gout or the general day-to-day issues someone might have that you actually do need to do things like a cardiovascular risk assessment because gout is a independent risk factor for cardiovascular disease so particularly if someone is only on for example allopurinol and they haven't really had a cardiovascular um, risk assessment that is something that you should be doing at an annual review also i mean in general you probably are looking at the renal function you have to do kind of urine electrolyte and egfr blood tests Mm -hmm. but um certainly it's kind of been mindful that again um when you have gout like that um kind of renal disease is another risk factor but then you may want to have in the back of your mind all right i need to actually really keep an eye on the kidney function and then if need be according to guidelines whether they need kind of further renal tests like a a urine acr it's a bit more in depth than just saying oh how are you getting on with your allopurinol okay great yes absolutely and many times when i've conducted medication reviews for gout and the patient may not necessarily be symptomatic some of them question why they're still on allopurinol and it's for that reason you explain that it's a cardiovascular risk factor and because uric acid is above a certain level and Similarly, you also have some patients who are symptomatic, but not on allopurinol and um, only treating recurrent flare-ups with NSAIDs, which is, of course, you know, really putting them at risk. 
That's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So obviously, yeah, it's obvious, like for gout, that you'd look at maybe uric acid and obviously the monitoring for the drug, but then they may then not realize the kind of added thing of maybe just looking at the renal function in a bit more detail, potentially. Yes, the cardiovascular disease. And obviously, yeah, that's why we do this, obviously, for the pharmacist to get more out of their, their job. And obviously, as well, at the end of the day, to protect patients, what we're, what we're here to do. Yes, exactly. In our positions, we have a duty of care to our patients. And that's why it's so important to understand the condition we're dealing with at a deeper level rather than just a superficial understanding and you know that's what enables us to make the right decisions and also educate the patients too which is key and I know we discussed about you taking a little bit of a pay cut initially as you were getting into the role because you needed, you know, not only time out for self-study, uh, but you also needed work experience as well. The roles available as a clinical pharmacist, they vary quite a lot. And so do the, the hourly rate varies greatly as well. So um, starting off as a clinical pharmacist, someone who has no experience, maybe Mahmoud, you can touch upon this because you quite often conduct the interviews for pharmacists. Um, you discuss the pay rates as well, don't you? Yes. The pay rate ranges a lot here right and also depends whether it's an employment permanent employment role or whether it's a contractor or a locum type of role but i think it's easier to mention locum roles with you know level two pharmacists the hourly rate ranges from 20 to 25 and then level three comes then 25 to 30 pounds an hour and a, uh, and, level and just to jump in a level three pharmacist is someone who is seeing patients maybe running clinics as well but not necessarily they may not have an independent prescribing qualification yeah level four pharmacists who can run wine illness clinics they've been you know trained and have got experience then it goes 35 and above and we can see some rates going up to 50 pounds an hour with, with with experience at the moment okay so adrian coming back to your role as a clinical pharmacist can you tell us a little bit about what sort of roles did you carry out when you first started and how has your role progressed over the years of course um yes yeah, so um in the very beginning um i started out processing letters so anything joke kind of coming back from a consultant or what have you so kind of maybe act you know, quite often it may, it may not have been any actions otherwise ones may have been maybe changing your medicine or kind of starting a medicine on the recommendation of consultant um, then as well progress to doing discharge letters it's kind of doing medicine optimization and then obviously kind of went on as well to do tasks so it would have been anything from reauthorizing um, repeat medication as well as the the odd acute requests but obviously I did know that acute requests you had to be very careful it's kind of a bit more more risk involved compared to a repeat reauthorization so I just want to throw that in there. Yeah. And then I started doing some medication reviews kind of later on. So that's maybe later yet. So kind of then dived into yeah, medicine reviews. And actually at the moment, I have been doing the SMRs. And obviously it's still day to day. You're, you're always kind of going to have kind of tasks to do, but obviously they kind of get a bit more involved. So it might be more definitely just doing a kind of a discharge letter or maybe you kind of maybe start dealing with the more kind of not awkward ones, but like the ones that require require a bit more experience so the acute requests and then obviously the yeah, ones where they might be less appropriate where you'd have to speak to a patient kind of seeing what why are they taking a certain thing maybe for example why are they repeatedly requesting zopiclone or something like that kind of want want to be careful in, the, in those situations so yeah so i've kind of got to the stage where doing the medicine reviews smrs and also running certain clinics so for example at the moment kind of competent to do the asthma ones and obviously i was involved with your training as well kind of I feel like I was the the beta tester <laughs> for that yeah. I suppose at the moment yeah where I am I can do obviously if I went into a, a 
any GP practice, I'd be happy to do their letters, do their tasks, run a medicine review clinic, and then obviously do asthma to an annual clinic review level, and, and obviously do um, SMRs as well. So yeah, so that's kind of where I am now. And then it's a case of then my plan now go, going forward would be to kind of become competent doing the clinics for for example, diabetes, HRT reviews, kind of pill checks, things like that. Then the next step, obviously, then would be doing minor ailments. So that would obviously then, but I would like to sort of have my base, my foundations ready before jumping to minor ailments because that's such a such a big step up. So I don't, I don't want to kind of fall, do I suddenly jump to minor ailments without having the competence in the other ones? So I think then that would just cause too much stress. So I, I guess you are what we would describe as a level three pharmacist. I think, I guess pharmacists can spend a long time at this level because there are so many different uh, disease groups to look at and there's so many different type of clinics that can be run at um, level three and I know you are currently undertaking your independent prescribing course and at the end of that hopefully you'll start to delve into the, the minor illness side of things where you can diagnose and prescribe and that's what we consider as a level four pharmacist isn't it? Yeah so I mean I'm very um, fortunate in my kind of experience independent prescribing course um, that my experience is doing some minor ailments under the guidance and review of my um, DMP but yeah so I'm certainly get, getting some initial experience obviously the, the pandemic notwithstanding but uh, yeah certainly kind of getting a taste for uh, what's required of a uh, level four pharmacist so take you know, taking a very thorough history check you know, medical history allergies everything that's involved that um, checking for red flags obviously very important then also then getting to know depending on a person's age gender or then what presenting symptoms to have what specific questions to then target so you can kind of then start to develop a differential diagnosis things like that so obviously yeah, a lot that this is where I think there's certainly the minor ailments is where you really start to almost diverge from your from a traditional pharmacists so things that maybe we haven't really been we wouldn't have like at university they wouldn't have maybe thought we needed it but like things like anatomy is a good example where obviously I feel like I don't have very much experience compared to a doctor where, where, where they start talking almost in a different language in terms of like they might start saying this is like a lateral epicondylitis and then you're like what, what what's that <laughs> yeah hmm. yeah so um, I felt the same when I started doing my illness clinics yeah, yeah anatomy so. side of things is definitely that you know we, we had to put a lot of energy to learn sure, yes yeah. absolutely yeah I felt the same I went and got myself a huge anatomy book because <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm not sure if it's I think a lot of pharmacists say that I thought it was maybe just a university that we went to that we no, didn't really study much. anatomy so um, I guess that's some advice for other pharmacists who are listening who are looking to get into minor illness role if your anatomy isn't strong and you haven't studied it at university then that's definitely something that um, you're going to want to spend some time studying no after definitely just can't differentially diagnose or kind of rule things out if you don't know where certain body parts are so if someone says they have chest pain and they point to a certain part you need to know what that you know what's there yeah absolutely so it's definitely when it comes to a physical examination anatomy is something that you need to know well well adrian um it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today uh, we've touched upon some really interesting topics um, so thank you so much for uh, taking the time to speak to us um, we wish you all the best for the future and hopefully we'll have you join us again at some point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I'd be happy to come back anytime. And for anyone who would like to get in touch with Adrian, we will put his contact details in the description. This podcast was brought to you by Clinical Pharmacist Academy, supporting pharmacists to transition into the general practice sector and accelerate their career as a clinical pharmacist. 
more information about our academy, visit cpaweb.org.uk. Thank you.